0: people of Iowa have heard about it all week long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. This is impressive that a bunch of guys on a Saturday morning get up early and come here with a premise that you have for this, that's fabulous. And uh, in fact, um, there's enough of you here and I heard there were gonna be a lot of you guys here and so I thought, well gee, I hope I get a parking spot. And uh, I should have known the Oxstrong Group Thought that through, and there's a parking spot out there that it had my name on it, so man, accessible, it right in there. <laughs> and when you're a guy on the radio sometimes, people know who you are, and sometimes they don't when you go out and do things. I had a guy come up to me at Menards a while back, and he says, hey, I know who you are. You're, you're, and I said, man, Martin? Nope. <laughs> but I, I love people and it's really fun for me because I get a chance to go out and speak to about every kind of group you can imagine. Uh, young people, old people, everything in between. I think I've spoken to every religious denomination there is. And a good example of the young people that I've spoken to, one day I was sitting at my desk and I got a phone call and it was from a middle school teacher at Interstate 35 School District, which is, what's that, Truro and St. Charmage or Mary, or something like that. And uh, she said, hey, would you come down and speak to my middle school kids? And I said, well, yeah, I can do that. And she said, good, she's all excited. And she called me every single day that week that I was going to tell me how excited the kids were that I was coming to talk to them. And I was kind of puffed up, you know, that, that's pretty good, It's kind of weird though, you know, it's like I'm a rock star or something. And, so I went down there, and uh, they introduced me. They thought Van Halen was coming. <laughs> that was a long hour. <laughs> and then an example of the old, my mother was in a nursing home for quite some time. <clears throat> I used to go visit her quite a bit, one time they asked me, hey, could you speak to the group here? So I did that, it was good. And uh, I was getting ready to go and one of the nurses said, hey, there's a woman down in the hall here that listens to you every day. She turns it on at 4.59 a.m. when you go on the air and she listens until you're done at nine o'clock. She said, I'll have her away if you go down to her room and go in and talk to her. I said, well, sure where is she. So well, I went down there, I opened the door and went in and sat and, and I didn't tell her who I was. And so we talked for about 20 minutes about uh, her family and life on the farm, and her grandkids, and and all that. And finally, I just said, "Do you know who I am?" And she said, "No, but if you go down to the desk, they can tell you." <laughs> <laughs> But I didn't know. I just wanted to ride my bike around a That's about all I wanted to do. And uh, so, but anyway, he kept it up, and there was pressure there. And so I thought, well, maybe I better try to come up with some kind of answer for the guy. And so um, I noticed one day that I was listening to the radio when I got up in the morning. And, um, and it was Don Warren back then. They listened to WHO. And so and I, I liked him. And I kind of felt like maybe he was like a friend. And so then they started announcing that we're gonna get a new guy in the afternoon His name is Roy Fox. And he'll have a show in the afternoon and one, a call in show in the evening. And so I was curious about that. So as soon as I left the house in the morning, I turned off Don Warren. As soon as I came back home in the afternoon, I turned on Roy Fox and listened to him. And I liked him and he seemed like a friend to me too. So, Somewhere along the line, it dawned on me these people get paid uh, to do this. So I sought out my father, and I could show you the exact spot on the floor where we had this conversation. I said, Dad, I know what I want to do. Good, what do you want to do? I want to be on the radio. And he was just as quiet as you are now. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he kind of cracked his smile, and He said, well, you'll get over that. <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> That's what so then I thought, well, if you're going to do this, how, how do you even start something like this? And I, I wish I knew some experts or had some friends so that I could talk to them and they could kind of help me with this. And then I realized, hey, I do have some friends. I listen to them on the radio every day. So I wrote a letter and it said, uh, I actually sent it to five different guys that I listened to on the radio. So I wrote it duplicate times five Dear so and so, I listen to you on the radio every day, and I really like what you do. You seem like a friend to me. And I think maybe I might like to get into that business, but I'm a young kid out here in Adel, what do you suggest? And then I signed it, and I remember licking the envelopes and riding my bike down to the Adel Post Office, sticking them in the mailbox, and riding home, being all proud, thinking, man, I'm gonna hear back from my friends. And uh, so I waited a couple of days, and I didn't hear anything. And I waited a couple more days, and I didn't hear anything. I waited a week, nothing. Two weeks, nothing. I never got one letter back from one of those guys. This is where you all say, oh I know when there's women in the audience. I don't have to cue them. <laughs> However, one night I was doing my homework, and the phone rang. My mom answered it, and she says, hey, it's for you. So I picked it up and said, "Hello." and uh, this voice said, is this man? I said, yes. He said, well, this is Roy Fox, and we're live on Clear Channel Conversation on WHO Radio. And I said, one of the wittiest things I've ever said on the radio, I said, really? (laughs) He said, said, yeah, I got your letter, do you mind if I read it to the audience? I said, no, that'd be fine, so he read it, and uh, then he paused, and he said, I want you to know that when I was a kid, I wrote a letter almost exactly like this one, and I sent it to a guy and he helped me. So now I'm going to help you. Wow! And he said, why don't you have your parents bring you down to the radio station Saturday. I'm working and I'll give you a tour and we'll show you how the equipment works and tell you the principles of things and you can ask whatever questions you want. You can kind of see if this is something that you might like to do. I said, great. So, <laughs> I hung up. My dad says, who was that? <laughs> I said, it was Roy Fox. He said, what? Because he listened to Roy Fox in the afternoon. And so all of a sudden, he was kind of impressed with this. And he said, well, what do he want? He said, he wants you and mom to bring me down to the radio station on Saturday morning to give us a tour. Really? Yeah. So we did that. We went down to the radio station. He was there. That guy spent two hours with us, taking us through the station, showing us every room, explaining how things work, answering questions. And I think back about that a lot today because two hours out of my broadcasting day is a lot, and that's somewhat of a sacrifice. And here's a guy that did that for somebody he didn't know, a little kid from 8LI, his parents along with him. So I always remember that, and down through my many years of broadcasting, I'm happy to say I've been able to pay that back many times because I wound up in situations like that myself. But the most interesting thing about that trip was the last room we were in was the studio. And uh, so it was, I mean, I felt like it was Christmas because I was in this room and there was his chair that he sat in and there's the microphone and all the acoustical tile and all that. And uh, then he got done with the tour and he said, that's about it, so he opens up the door and uh, my mom walked out first and my dad walked out second who was very impressed at this point. And then I started to walk out and I stopped and I turned around and I remember this moment like it was yesterday. I remember looking at his chair and saying to myself, I have got to sit in that chair someday. Well. As of this year, I've been sitting in that chair for 34 years, (laughs) so. He created microphones. He created radios. All the stuff I like is because of him. And I can remember my mom was just a saint. uh, Her name was Grace, and everybody called her Amazing Grace. And she was always studying the Bible, and she was always praying for people, and she'd go out and do good things for people. And and you know how your parents get smarter the older you get? (laughs) That's the way this happened, too. And I I don't think I really realized what I had when I was a kid. And... uh, wonderful wonderful parents and then when I was a little older it kind of dawned on me and I thought you know look at everybody loves her and I'd like to be like her and uh, so I remember saying a prayer one day and it was this simple dear God I want to know more about you and I want to know more about the Bible amen the very next day my hometown church just blocking half down the street and they uh, called and they said hey our adult Sunday school teacher just quit, and we'd like you to do it. And if that call would've come 24 hours earlier, I would've laughed it off. And I thought, well, I'm not sure God answers (laughs) prayers in strange ways, and maybe, I wonder if these are connected. And so I said, well, how hard would this be? (laughs) And she said, well, it won't be too hard there's only one person in the class. (laughs) And you know, small towns, who is it? It's Gene Smith. Okay, I know Gene Smith. So I'll do it. So then I thought about my prayer and I I wonder if that's connected and this is a way for me to learn more about the Bible. So I said I teach the class and I did. And every single week I would spend hours and hours preparing for that class. Gene Smith got her money's worth that first week, I'll tell you. uh, And... I became so enlightened and enriched by the Bible. And uh, boy, the first first few months, I was right in there cheering God on everything I read. And I thought, man, go, go, this is great, this is great. Then I started running into a few things that were hard or that I thought, boy, if I was God, I wouldn't do that this way. And I had to stop and think, what are you gonna do about that? You gonna teach that? What are you you going to tear that page out? Are you going to make marks through the part you don't like? What are you going to do? And it just came to me. I just thought, all right, who's smarter? God or me? Duh. So I go with the Bible. And we we just talked about things like that. And not just to read it for reading's sake, but to internalize it like you were talking about memorizing verses. But the big thing is, you can read a history book or something, and it's interesting, but what are you going to do with that stuff? How does that apply to you in your life? How can you incorporate it into your life? And all of a sudden, this class started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We had no other textbooks. We had just the Bible. In fact, it got so big that within one year, we had to knock a wall out in the building to fit everybody in there tell you this to try to make you think, boy, you're a good teacher. I tell you this because at that time, and I think it's even more true now, people are looking for the truth. Amen. They're looking for something solid that's true. And as it's been brought up here, politically, you can have whatever truth you want. If you, you want it on the left, you can have that. If you want it on the right, you can have that. I kind of interested in God's opinion about these things. So anyway, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and, um, then uh, I moved to Des Moines for a while. And so I thought, well, I better look for a church in Des Moines. So I went around and, man, I could write a book about all the different kinds of churches I saw. And uh, uh, I was in one, a Presbyterian church, never thought I'd go to a Presbyterian church. But I went, and man, they were teaching right out of the Bible from the pulpit. Uh, and so I thought, well, I better go to their Sunday school class. So I went for two weeks to their Sunday school class. Same thing. They're teaching out of the Bible, which is my thing. And uh, on the way out, this pastor grabs me and he says, "Hey, uh, we've heard that you've been an adult Sunday school teacher. Is that true?" And I said, "Well, yeah." He said, "Well, our guy's leaving, and uh, would you mind filling in for a couple of weeks until we find a new?" And I said, "Well, if you'll let me teach right out of the Bible with no other books, I'll do it." He said, "Good. That's exactly what we want." So I did it for eight years, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I kept asking us Do you want to overlook it?" <laughs> <laughs> and s- since that time, I have taught at uh, Disciples of Christ Church. I've taught at the Presbyterian Church. I've taught at Baptist Church. And uh, I know there's guys from different churches here, which is kind of cool. Because wherever I go, people always say, what are you anyway? What <laughs> you know, they want to put a label on it. Are you a Methodist? Are you a Catholic? What are you anyway? And I tell them all the same thing. I said, hey, I'm a Bible guy. If you like the Bible, I'm your guy. Mm -hmm. If you don't, I'm not your guy. (laughs) And and, and it's amazing the different groups that I've talked to. Um, It's interesting because a lot of them are groups of faith. Some of them are not. And uh, I wrote the book Life in the Purple Wedge, which is about living in two worlds at the same time which doesn't add up to most secular people, but you get it. If you're a Christian and you read it, you'll get it. Because uh, if you're a Christian, you, you're there, you're living in two worlds at the same time. And uh, I remember I had a big major company in Iowa call me and they said, hey, we'd like you to come speak to us. I said, okay, what do you want? And they said, well, I read your book, The Purple Wedge, I want you to talk about that. I said, well, then you know what it's about then, right? Yeah, we want you to. So I've been able to go to places that would never ever hear the gospel and talk about what it is. And uh, I also wrote another book about how you look and how you feel. I lost 100 pounds and everybody wanted to know, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? How'd you do it? And so I got tired of telling them, so I wrote a book about i charged charging 10 bucks. <laughs> but my point was very interesting. I mean, God's put me in a very interesting situation because I have people come to me that, uh, about the purple wedge, and they are people that would never darken the door of a church or never talk to a pastor, and they come to me, the guy on the radio, for questions about God and advice and stuff, and I I think about this, and man, is this good or not? I guess it's better than if they didn't ask anybody. But then now I have people coming to me asking me all about health questions and losing weight and all of this. And there were people that would never go to a doctor, never go to a personal trainer, never go to a dietitian. And I just I think uh, what an amazing position God has put me in. And I just have to assume that's not by accident. And so that's a really cool way that uh, I can serve and live my Christian life. And. Uh, uh, one thing that's very important to me, uh, and you find this in John 1 and Colossians 1, is who Jesus really is and the fact that he wasn't like Santa Claus that just came on Christmas Day and then he went away at Easter. Uh, you read about him before he came to earth. And it talks about how uh, through him all things were created and nothing has been made that wasn't made by him. And through him, all things hold together. And so I teach that a lot in my classes. And then when I get done teaching that, I say, do you realize this is way before, on the timeline, way before the cross even came along. And so if that's true, and I believe it is, that he created everything, what what if you had the top five things in your life that you loved the most, wrote them down? Where did those five things come from? He says in the Bible they came from him. Where did you come from? Where did the oxygen come from that we're in this room breathing right now? And so if that's true, what percent of your life do you owe to Jesus Christ? You owe one. 100% and like I said that's even before we get to the cross and that's miraculous we, we owe him everything I always say that uh, to people to everyone Jesus is one of three things he's either nothing and I know a lot of people I have friends that are atheists and they think he's nothing they either don't believe he existed or if he did not that big a deal to them Jesus is nothing then there's people that believe Jesus is something and the something people, if you had a pie chart of your week and you divided it up into the different things you do, you'd have sleeping and eating and taking care of the kids and all that. And they'd have maybe church uh, or praying or whatever in there as part of it. And so that it's something in their life. But to the everything people, and at one point in my life, I became an everything person when I realized all this stuff about that without him, there is nothing. And I, I realized it too when it says that in him all things hold together. Did you ever have a time in your life where things didn't hold together very well? I have. And I realized that's the time I was farthest away from him. So... The everything people have a chart just like the something people do with all the different things of your day. However, they have kind of a transparent or translucent overlay that goes over the top of that. And that translucent overlay is Jesus Christ. Because none of that stuff would make any difference if it wasn't for him. And uh, I want to tell you a story about... uh, Every place I go to speak, there's always somebody that feels like right now in your life, you're not getting any traction, or you're not in the right place at the right time, or uh, you just don't feel good about things. And I know because I've been there, and I know there's people in this group right now that feel that way. How do I know? Because there's more than three of us in the room. That's not right. like that. <laughs> But I was feeling like that. I was working on KRNT radio, and uh, I was making so little money, I could hardly pay gas money and, and uh, uh, food money. And I was a bachelor. I, was, I had an old Ford Pinto, just waiting for somebody to ram into the back. <laughs> <laughs> but I was having a pity party about that. And uh, that's all I could think about. And I went to work one day, and a buddy of mine who came on after me on the air, he had the same problem and he was sitting in the lounge, reading the Des Moines Register, and he says, hey, look at this. He was looking at the want ads, and there was an ad for the Oscar Mayer plant in Perry, Iowa, and he read this job description. Basically, it was stuffing hot dogs. It was making three times what we were earning, and he looked at me, and he said, should we be stuffing hot dogs? And we said, nah, this is too much fun. <laughs> so. But the very next day, still having the pity party, I came into work and the receptionist said, Van, there's a guy sitting here who's been waiting for you for about a half hour. And he was sitting on the sofa, so I sat next to him and he introduced himself and we talked for a little bit. And he said, My sister was in a terrible car accident a few weeks back. And it was so bad that she was unconscious. In fact, she went into a coma. And uh, he said, she went to the hospital, it was either, must've been Methodist or Mercy, I'm not sure which. Um, but they worked on her and they couldn't get her out of that coma. And they said, I think maybe we should have her flown to Iowa City. They might be able to help her over there. So they did, they life flight or air life or whatever they called it, over to Iowa City. And he said, she's been there for a little while. And he said, still, nothing. She's still in a coma. And he said, we, the family, asked the doctors, is there anything that we should be doing to try to help this along? And one of the doctors said, the only thing you can do is surround her with things that she's familiar with on a daily basis. And so he said, we got trinkets for her living room and her kitchen and set stuff all around her. And he said, nothing. And you don't really know, I guess, when a person's in a coma whether they're perceiving things or not. And I'm not a doctor, so I don't know about that either. But he said, then it dawned on me yesterday, I was driving to work, and he said, I remember a conversation I had with her. She told me that she listens to you on the radio every day, and that you seem like a friend to her. And uh, That sounds familiar. <laughs> and so he pulled out a cassette, this is back in cassette days, he pulled a cassette out of his pocket, And he said, they cannot get KRNT radio in Iowa City. And so I was wondering if you would tape record part of your radio program, we'll take it over to who we wanna play it for. And I said, I'd be honored to do that. So I took his cassette and I went in, I was doing the program and I popped it in and was recording the program. And not only did I, I was doing music back in those days, not only did I do the music, but I spoke to her and I said, Hello to Teresa today. Teresa, I just met your brother. What a neat guy. We had a good talk, and he told me that you said to him that I seem like a friend to you. And I want you to know that is exactly true, and now it goes both ways, because we know one another. And uh, I said, I heard that you've had some rough things that you've been going through. And I just want you to know that uh, I'm praying for you, and I just feel like things are gonna get better. And that was it. And I got done, and at the end of the program, I took the cassette up to the front desk, and the guy was there, and he picked up the cassette and started to leave, and I said, wait, wait, wait. You, I don't know what's gonna happen, if anything, and even if nothing happens, you keep in touch with me. I wanna hear, it. I wanna know. He said, oh, we will. So he left. And uh, a day went by, I didn't hear anything. Two days went by, I didn't hear anything. Part of the week went by, I didn't hear anything. I thought, this is just like when I sent those guys at radio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna hear anything back. And then the next day after that, the receptionist said, Van Hardner's a call for you on line three. So I punched it up and I said, hello. And the strangest voice I ever heard said, she wiggled her feet. <laughs> I said, who is this? He says, I'm the brother of the woman that was in the car wreck. I said, she wiggled her feet? He said, yeah. When you were playing music, all of a sudden her feet started going back and forth to the beat of the music. And then he said, you started talking to her, and she opened her eyes, and she came out of that coma. And the doctors say she's going to be just fine. Praise the (laughs) Lord. And the hair still sticks up on the back of my neck when I tell that story. Because it just, I couldn't believe it. And so that summer, they brought her out to the Iowa State Fair where I was broadcasting. And she was in a wheelchair, but she was gonna be getting rid of that too. And they wheeled her over to me and she stood up and we hugged one another and we cried and the family came around and we all cried together. Except her brother, and he came over to me and he said, You have no idea what all this has meant to our family. And I said, Well, thank you, but you have no idea what this has meant to me. Because I thought back that very day that that happened was the day that I wasn't getting any traction. I wasn't in the right place at the right time. I should have been out and parry stuffing hot dogs. It just. <laughs> and all of a sudden, boom, it got pointed out to me very vividly, I was exactly in the right place at exactly the right time, I just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring that up is, if any of you feel that way, I've got a hunch you probably are exactly in the right place at the right time, and and you don't know it. And one of the things that I get asked all the time is, oh, you're on the radio so early, what time do you get up? Well, uh, (laughs) 2.45. My alarm goes off at 2.45. Alarms, I have safety alarms too. From uh, and uh, uh, people say, well, you've been doing that for 34 years, so that's no big deal. It's easy for you to get up. Nope, it's not. <laughs> my alarm goes off. It is a shock to this day. And so at 2.45, a couple of things happen. I Number mean, one, I wake up and I put my feet on the floor and then I say a prayer. And I say the same prayer every morning. And here is the prayer. Show me, tell me, send me. Show me what you got, tell me what to do, and send me out to do it. In other words, make yourself available. And I have never, ever heard God speak to me audibly. I wish he would because I got some stuff I want to talk to him about. But... Ever since I've been doing that, I have been put in the most unbelievable situations that I could never have dreamed of. And, you know, the story I just told you is a good example of that. Uh, There have been other life and death things that have happened, and uh, uh, I I get in the middle of these things, and I just think, how in the world did I get in the middle of this? And then I remember, oh, yeah, 245. (laughs) (laughs) So, and another one is, uh, my wife said, uh, hey, uh, there's a church in town that's having a meeting tonight and they're, they're talking about taking a mission trip to Zimbabwe. I kind of like go to the meeting, you wanna go? I said, no. Nope. <laughs> I'm honest, I never, I mean, I've heard about these people that go to Africa and all these places and do mission trips, never had any desire, obviously my mission field is right around here. Yeah. So I said, no, nope. and uh, she said, okay, well, I'm gonna go. I said, okay and uh, so she went to the meeting and uh, it was an evening meeting and I go to bed pretty early since I get up so early and so I'm just talking in and my phone goes off, there's a text and it's from her and she's at this meeting and it says would you like to preach in Zimbabwe? (laughs) Uh, How how do you answer that? (laughs) And so I just put Yes, and said, <laughs> and went to bed, and then when I got up the next morning, I knew I was going to have some talking to do, because I didn't want to do that. I have to talk my way out of this. So um, the guy called me, and he said, we, have, we need one more guy. We need somebody who has taught Bible before, and uh, we would be thrilled if you do this. So I had 10 questions and asked them, and if the answer to any one of them would have been no, I would have been off the hook. And everyone was, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. And so finally we got to the last time. I said, okay, one last question, and I was sure this would do it. I said, tell me the dates of this trip. That guy told me the exact dates of my June vacation. <laughs> and I did just what you did. I laughed. I mean, just, sometimes God has to hit you up on the side of the head, you know. And, uh, I thought, if you're going to ask God, then you better listen for him too. And he spoke to me real loud that time too. So we went to Zimbabwe, we planted a church, hundreds of people came to Christ for these meetings. People with no shoes walk across dry uh, riverbeds to come hear preaching. And uh, I just I, I, I'm sitting in this spider infested bedroom over there thinking how in the world did I get into this? <laughs> Oh yeah, 245. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I love the name of your group, Ox Strong. And one of my favorite verses is, When I am weak, then I am strong. And that puzzled me for a long time. That doesn't make any sense. It sounds backwards. When I am weak, then I am strong. But I've gone through a lot of stuff myself, and there are times where i felt especially weak, and the only thing I could do was to turn to God. Turn to Christ. And when you do that, you're weak, but there is no greater strength than being in Christ. He's your strength. You don't do it. He does. You commit to it. And so I admire you for what you're doing and for the name of your group, because when you are weak, then you are ox strong. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you for having me here yes,